Welcome to the radio program, Why Paul? Bringing and interpreting the doctrine Jesus Christ presented through the Apostle Paul. Your hosts are Michael R. Mix, Michelle Mix, and Pamela Lampton of 14th Street Ministries. We are here to bring you the answers found in 2 Timothy, verse 2, and encourage you to teach and share this program with others. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Mix, Michelle Mix, and Pamela Lampton. And welcome to March. Uh, We're glad to start to see spring coming. Um, I'm your host, Michelle Mix. And I'm your host, uh, Michael Mix. I'm your host, Pam Lampton. I'm your host, David Reed. And uh, today, actually, um, we'd like to do it, start a little bit different. Uh, we did have a, um, first, let's go ahead and open up in prayer, and then we'll go to a question I have. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the many privileges you give us. Uh, we thank you for your word, and we're able to uh, present your word to, to a lost and dying world. We ask that you give the believers wisdom and understanding and knowledge of your word. And Lord, we come to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Uh, so um, if we can start first, uh, I know today we're going to continue uh, with why Paul questions continued, um, but we did get a question from a listener uh, into our um, uh, webpage and Facebook. Um, the question is, um, to know our personal salvation testimonies. Um, so from each of us, the question is, how did you come to, to the knowledge of salvation and what is your life testimony? Uh, so, um, so they would like us to share our, our testimony. So we can start with that today. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'll start out. Um, I was saved in, in 1953 at the age of eight and I remained ignorant in the walk of a believer, but thank God for his grace, I did believe the gospel. And my ignorance in the word, uh, where I stood for many years, ignorance of the word and legalism. I'd like to read uh, Ephesians, what was missing was, and I find this in Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, and in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual weakness in high places. I didn't understand all that. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand the evil days, and having done all to stand. Standing therefore, having your loins girded about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparations of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye stand, be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I had the sword when, when, when I believed the gospel. I had the sword, but I didn't know how to use the sword, which is my Bible. And uh, later on in life, uh, I come across a, uh, a teacher that was tre- teaching the right 
rightly dividing the word of truth. And as I listened to him, then my eyes were opened. And I learned that sound doctrine is important, knowing who I am in Christ. And now I am free of bondage, the bondage of ignorance and uh, legalism. Thank God his, for his mercy and his grace. His love runs very deep. Okay. All right. Hey, thank you. All right. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, and I'll go ahead um, and talk about mine. Um, I don't have, you know, um, you know, this uh, big moment in life that, you know, life was so rough that, you know, I finally, you know, crawled um, to Jesus um, and, you know, um, accepted his grace. Uh, you know, I grew up with, um, I was very blessed that um, I was put on a church bus when I was very young, and then my parents went to, decided to go to church um, from us, you know, riding on the church bus. Um, so really, it's like I was in church my whole life, but um, even every time I went to church, I struggled, and I struggled internally because um Every time, you know, the preacher would say, um, you know, everybody had to come down to the altar every Sunday. And that really confused me. And actually, you know, kind of like anxiety um, because I'm thinking, well, I don't feel like I need to go down there. I kept questioning myself. I'm a pretty boring person, uh, so I don't do much. Um, but maybe I had a thought. So then um, that whole um, series came out of. Uh, that we had watched this movie when I was very young, um, uh, The Cross and the Switchblade, and mm -hmm. and then The Second Coming or something. And all I remember is white vans going around taking people. And so I, you know, all of that internalized as a child. Uh, and then going through my teenage years, again, I, I didn't have, you know, I didn't run around a lot. I was always homebody. Um, so you would think that, you know, being a Christian and accepting Christ would have been just easy, but it was actually a struggle because um, the way I was taught at church was that I either had to do a whole bunch of works or I had to every Sunday go down to the altar and ask, you know, forgiveness again, because if not, I could walk outside and get hit by a car. And now I don't know if I'm going to heaven. And it was, it was really, it was really a struggle for me. And until then, and I went to a, a high school, a Christian high school. Uh, it was still stressful because um, I didn't do a lot, but I always thought, you know, you always have a thought in your head, like, Oh, did I think something bad? Then, you know, do I need to go to the altar now? Um, so I never thought I was worthy um, at all growing up. And even though I did whatever, you know, what I felt I needed to do, and I knew I was saved because I had asked, you know, Christ to be my savior, um, you know, and I know he covered me with his blood, but I never knew what really mm -hmm. what that grace meant. Um, and I, and I, you know, um, now it is looking back, I'm like, wow, I could have, you know, not been so stressed, you know, growing up. Mm -hmm. So I went to a Christian high school. Uh, then I went to a Bible college and it was, you know, and then of course that was kind of worse. <laughs> and, you know, so every chapel, every, you know, it just, you know, it, it was really, I, I'm serious. I had a lot of anxiety over it because I kept thinking, how is everybody else happy? You know, they're, they're all happy and, and singing and, you know, I don't do anything. I'm really a boring person. Um, but what if I had a bad thought 
And so I never was worthy, even though, you know, so I, I took this, I'm holding this gift that I never felt worthy to hold because I'm wondering, is there something that I did that I can't remember? Um, so I, I was always afraid. And then one day in, in the chapel, um, you know, they were, they, they had always, um, you know, again, each chapel service, you know, you had to go down to the altar um, and all of that. But at one chapel service, it was, is kind of different. It was um, kind of really in a moment where I felt like I was sitting there by myself and I heard a complete different message than what was being preached. And that message to me said, I died on the cross for you. And that is all you need. And you know, and, and, you know, Christ told me the, you know, Holy Spirit spoke to me at that very moment um, in, in that um, uh, um, chapel service and said, you know, to, to be free. And, and that really did set me free because I accepted the, you know, his, his death, burial and resurrection. And then I actually accepted that free gift you know, that he died on the cross for me, for my past, my present, and my future. And then that finally helped me live. And then from that moment on, I actually enjoyed life. I enjoyed doing things, um, you know, for the ministry, because now I, I wasn't under the bondage of thinking that I, I was always not worthy. Um, so, so ever since that moment is really what uh, changed my life, even though, yeah, as a young child, I accepted, um, you know, I accepted Christ as my savior and I wanted to live for him, but I wasn't, I wasn't free to enjoy that. Um, so, so that's really, um, really um, how, uh, what my testimony is, is that once I realized that, that he had forgiven me. Mm-hmm. Um, it released it, and then I can enjoy that salvation that I received and that free gift. That's good. My story is, uh, and I was raised in the same home as Shaw was. What uh, home my was parents- that? <laughs> <laughs> Your home. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I remember uh, my parents, um, I was the oldest of the family, and, of course, older ones always eavesdrop. So I remember my parents arguing the fact that, you know, the kids need to go to church. They need to start somewhere. And my parents didn't go to church. My mother, mother did. She was Catholic. And um, my dad said, well, they're going to go to where I was raised. So at five years old, um, we had a family from a Nazarene church come and decided to go ahead and pick me up. And I was the only one sent out of the house at that time. Um, so I don't really know the time frame. I started going to church with this family and then they had a, a van because the rest of the siblings started going. Um, but I just remember very young. Um, I remember at seven years old, I was in children's church and they were talking about the death of Christ and why Christ died. And John three sixteen was the biggest verse. I think that they emphasized on the whole time. And at seven years old, I realized if I were to die right now, I would die and go to hell. And it bothered me. But I kept sitting there thinking about the story. And it just that Christ died for me. And I didn't have to do anything. He did everything. 
Um, so that's when I accepted Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. Um, I loved the situation and the examples that were there. And I just remember early on in my life that I wanted to follow Christ no matter what. And I was just so hungry for the Bible. Um, so my parents actually um, were saved when I was probably about eight years old. Um, a very faithful man from the church who picked us up on the bus, um, searched my parents out and would come to the house and do Bible studies. Um, but later on in my life, I just always looked at people in the church and admired their spiritual walk. And I, and I deal with seven-year-olds and six-year-olds now, and I think, how would I have that, that discernment? And I think it was just a different, I could see a different lifestyle. Um, I went to a Christian um, school in my high school years that really established my Bible reading and my desire for reading the Bible. Um, my questions were answered during that time, and I was forced to read the Bible. I had no idea. I was in 10th grade, sitting in chapel, and I remember not being able to even find a book. And they would say, okay, this turned to Romans such and such, and I'm like, I have no idea. Never opened a, the Bible in my life. So um, I kind of just had a really deep desire to learn God's Word. My um, true dedication to the Lord was when I went to Bible college, and I just loved just studying the Word of God, and God just dealt with my life in different areas. Um, I struggled more with acceptance, and I never really struggled with doubt of salvation. I knew it was through Christ and Christ alone. Um, but I was a questioner and researcher, so um, the Lord led me to just dedicate myself to Him. My my, Bible, my favorite Bible verse was um, Romans um, 12, 1 and 2, and I just wanted to always serve Him with all my heart. Um, I felt the Lord right, that my main thing, I think, in, in my life is was witnessing and evangelism and I had a heart for the lost I worked through the bus ministry um, but mainly I tell people you know we have to come to a point in our life that Christ what we do with Christ and that gift that he gives us is the most important he died on the cross for us and we don't have to do anything um, so love the Lord love him with my life and that's my main dedication very good. Very, very good. I'll uh, share with you a couple things that might be of interest about my background. When I was a teenager, I don't know exactly when, I remember that someone gave me a gospel tract. I remember this very clearly. And, you know, a, a little simple, this happens to be a tract my wife wrote, uh, you know, a simple, you know, four-page document. It's not really long. You can see it. This is one my my son wrote. In other words, it was just a gospel tract, really simple document. And I remember in my teen years, someone handing it to me. And I, 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 I took possession of it, but I rejected the truth of it. 
In other words, I took it into my possession, but I, I was rejecting it. And I knew at that moment I was committing a wrong. In other words, I could sense I'm, I'm, there's truth in this booklet that I am rejecting, and I, and I knew it. And I share that with you just because one of the things that we have done is we've tried to print a lot of gospel tracts, write them and print them because of, I'm convinced God's word is so powerful that the act of putting it into written form, tracts can go all around the world, right? Mm -hmm. People, they just, they're mobile. Um, So I remember rejecting that. I was raised in the church and I was ultimately confirmed in the church. Um, I was not a regular attender, but I was confirmed. But being confirmed, I was still lost. And uh, I went away to college, lost. I was confused about things. Freshman year, I decided I was going to take Introduction to Moral Philosophy. And I was going to start sorting through the issues of life. And I went into that class, and on the first day, the professor said, there's a debate within philosophy. Some say that philosophy hasn't made any progress in the last 2,000 years. But others take a stronger position and say it's impossible for philosophy ever to make progress. So essentially, the two choices were philosophy hasn't made any progress in 2,000 years, or it will never make any. So I left that class and said, well, this is not the answer, obviously. And so for a couple of years after that, I was still trying to sort through things. And then uh, through the Ministry of Campus Crusade, which is now known as Crew, mm-hmm. uh, they had an active presence on campus. And one of the leaders there shared the gospel with me, and I got saved at that point in time. And of course, my life's never been, never been the same. Um, the gospel is a powerful thing. Christ died for our sins, was buried, rose again the third day. Our works can't save us. Uh, what we need to do is we need to have faith in the blood that he shed for us. And so, uh, praise the Lord, uh, Jesus Christ saved me when I was a junior. And, um, you know, the, the rest is just rejoicing. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, everyone, for sharing. And we'll uh, continue with questions when we come back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 14th Street Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. Your donations are most appreciated. You can make donations on our website at 14thStreetMinistries.com. Our goal is to preach the gospel to a lost and dying world. Our message is to lift the believer, teaching sound doctrine by rightly dividing the word of truth. We are a grace ministry. You can reach out to us by calling 314-243-3779 or by contacting us on the web at 14thStreetMinistries.com or follow our Facebook page. Look for 14th Street Online Bible Study. We hear just be you a lot these days. But who are you? What is an authentic life? The answer to these questions and more will be answered on The Authentic Living Show. Hosted by Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of today's spiritual, psychological experts and will provide her own wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your I am. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. What's the difference between leaders who achieve exceptional results with ease and those who struggle to keep up? 
Tune in for Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. You'll discover the simple practices that are making the biggest difference to a leader's success today. You'll meet leaders who are bringing out the best in their teams. You'll gain practical strategies to lead yourself and others to high performance with ease. Leading on Purpose airs live Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to the radio program, Why Paul? If you'd like to participate in today's program, call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to michaelrmix at 14thstreetministries.com. Now back to Why Paul? And we're back. Um, I'm your host, Michelle Mix. I'm your host, uh, Michael Mix. I'm your host, Pam Lampton. I'm your host, David Reed. And I uh, really enjoyed the first segment today that we're, uh, you know, we were able to uh, share together with our uh, testimonies. Uh, so I appreciate everybody uh, sharing that today. So uh, now we're going to um, jump into some questions, some more questions we have on why Paul. Okay. I have a question here. Uh, um, how does Israel worship God during the dispensation of grace without offering sacrifices? Well, as we think about the Old Testament law, uh, when you think, for example, about the book of Leviticus, Israel was required to offer old, were required to offer sacrifices because the sacrifices were part of what the Old Testament law required. But if you look with me at Romans 6, Romans chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. So if you think carefully about what that verse is saying, Israel in time past was under the Old Testament law. And since the Old Testament law said, offer sacrifices, then Israel offered sacrifices. But today, if you're a believer, whether you are a believing Jew or a believing Gentile, makes no difference. According to Romans 6, you are not under the law, and therefore you are not supposed to offer sacrifices. And if you look with me at Hebrews 11, so during the dispensation of grace, there is no reason for a believer to offer an animal sacrifice. The blood that Christ shed for us was fully sufficient, and there's just no reason to offer a sacrifice. That would be true for, for believing Jews as well. If with, you look with me at Hebrews 11, verse 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. So the question asked, how does Israel please God today? Well, the answer is, how do you please God today? You please God by having faith. What God desires of all men today is he desires them to have faith in the gospel, that Jesus Christ died for their sins, was buried, and rose again the third day. The moment that you have faith in the gospel, God will count your faith for righteousness. So the simple way to please God today is simply to believe the gospel. Very good. Okay. Uh, and also, um, we're wondering, um, during the dispensation of grace, why does God use the body of Christ as his representatives rather than Israel? 
So let's look at Romans 11 together. Romans chapter 11. So Romans 11, verse 11. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather, through their fall, salvation is come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. So the question asked, why doesn't God use Israel as his representatives today? Well, the reason is Romans 11 tells us that Israel has fallen and they have diminished. So if you think about the Old Testament, Israel was God's chosen people. Israel had a superior position to Gentiles, right? Israel had the covenants of promise. There were promises that were given to them. Gentiles did not. But what's happened during the dispensation of grace is Israel has diminished. And now Israel and Gentiles are equivalent. Israel no longer has a superior position. If you look with me at Romans 10, Romans 10, verse 12, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. So what happens during the dispensation of grace is that the Jew and the Gentile are exactly the same. There is no difference between them. And then look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. So let's add this all together. Why isn't God using Israel as his representatives today? Well, Israel has fallen. And in fact, Israel today is the same as Jews. There's no difference between Jew and Greek, according to Romans 10, 12. So what has God done to choose a representative today? He's chosen the body of Christ, and he's given us, according to 2 Corinthians 5, 18, the ministry of reconciliation. So let me explain that a little bit. People sometimes think the ministry is standing behind a pulpit and teaching. Well, that is, that is part of the ministry, but that's not the only thing that is, is the ministry. Every single believer, every single one has been given the ministry of reconciliation, which means you can tell your neighbor the gospel. You can tell your friend the gospel. You can tell your coworker the gospel. In other words, the ministry of reconciliation has been committed to the entire body of Christ, and that's you know, that's what we ought to be busy doing. That ought to be the focus of our lives. I mean, if, if you think about it this way, eternity is really simple. It doesn't matter how much money you made. It doesn't matter what kind of car you drove. It doesn't matter what kind of house you lived in. People go one of two places. They, they go to heaven or they go to the lake of fire. Well, with that clarity, what does our life need to be about? It needs to be about telling lost people the gospel so they can go to heaven and not the lake of fire. Maybe, maybe uh, you ought to give us an explanation of reconciliation or reconciled. Oh, great. That's, that's, a good, that's a great point. So we're in 2 Corinthians 5. Let's just read the next couple of verses. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. The word of reconciliation is obviously the gospel. 
Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. You know what an ambassador is? An ambassador is someone who represents one country while being present in another country. So we are ambassadors for Christ because we are ambassadors from his heavenly kingdom, which is what our destiny is. Our conversation is in heaven, Philippians 3.20, but we are his representatives here on the earth. And then if you notice the last part of verse 20, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. See, Romans says that the lost are enemies of God, and they are his enemies, and they are under his wrath. But the wonderful news is Christ died for them. And so what we need to have the ministry of converting enemies into sons. In other words, they don't have to remain enemies of God the Father. They can become his children, and all they have to do to reconcile themselves to God, to put themselves in harmony, to put themselves at peace with God, is to believe the gospel that Christ died for their sins. But if I'm a good person, and I have a good reputation, and I'm uh, lifted up in the community and stuff, uh, why would I need to be reconciled to somebody? Yeah, what Romans 3 says, so look with me at Romans chapter 3. And then the question Michael's raising there is a question a lot of people wonder about, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're upstanding and they're kind and they're charitable mm-hmm. and, you know, they're, they're good citizens. And there's many, many, many people like that. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So what happens is even if you're a very decent, upstanding, kind person, the, the, the plain fact of the matter is you're not perfect because none of us are. And Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. So the, the sad reality is that all of us as sinners have earned spiritual death, punishment in hell. But Romans 6.23 doesn't end there. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So even though our sins deserve death, that's what we've earned, God has given us as a free gift, eternal life. And all we have to do to accept that free gift is to have faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Very good. Great. Um, We have another question here. Actually, it's not a question. It's a, um, we were talking about different phrases or sayings that we have heard and people say, and then people, they're kind of doctrinally not correct or biblically sound. And one has come up um, that we may have seen, and it says, when you are hanging on by a thread, make sure it's the thread of the hem of his garment. And we know that that's talking about the story of the woman who touched Jesus hem and became whole, but that's the phrase that phrase kind of tells us that, well, we have to hang on to -hmm. God. We have to hang on to him um, and by a thread, you know, and I know life comes with trials and, and different things that uh, financially, emotionally, and different things that enter our life. And we feel like we're just hanging in there. But there's such a powerful truth that we should know as Christians that we don't have to hang on to him. So we'll give that to David to answer. Yeah, thank you. 
There's a lot of sayings that people have. Um, sometimes they call it Christianese. It's, it's Christian jargon. It, it's things that are just repeated and repeated, and they become conventional wisdom. And my encouragement would be this, that what you always want to do is you want to find a verse. You know, Romans ten seventeen says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Well, if that verse is true, which it obviously is, then all true faith is based upon the word of God. It's rooted in a verse. It's not an opinion. It's not conjecture. It's not what I heard someone say. It's there's a verse that says this. And so when you think about this saying, the, the, there are a couple passages that I think come to mind. So Colossians chapter 2, verse 10. Colossians 2, 10. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. I, I personally love that verse. Mm-hmm. Do you ever at times feel um, fragile? Do you ever feel unworthy? Do you ever feel ill-equipped? I mean, th- there's lots of times where we are keenly aware of our own shortcomings, right? Because they're, they exist. They're real. There's no doubt that, you know, about that. But we need to operate by the truth of the verse. And what the verse tells us is that we are complete in him. All of our failures, all of our inadequacies, we have been made complete in Christ. Now, what happens when I don't feel that? What happens when I, you know, I just, I I don't have that contentment. I don't feel it. Well, let let me prove something to you if I could. Your emotions cannot determine what is true. And I'll give you a proof of that. You've probably at some point watched a scary movie or a movie that has a scary scene. And when you do that, your pulse may quicken. You may get sweat. You may get hair on the back of your neck stand up. You you may get a physiological response to something that is fiction because Mm -hmm. it's a movie, right? In other words, Mm -hmm. one actor is not going to kill the other actor. They throw him in jail. So it's just a play. It's just fake. But yet when you watch it, you, there's an emotional reaction that's produced. What that tells you is that emotions can't dis- determine truth from error. People have the idea, well, I, I had this emotional experience, and so, the, so therefore I concluded this. Your emotions lie to you all the time. You can't go by your emotions. You can't live on the basis of your feelings. You need to live on the authority of the Word of God. That's why I read to you Colossians 2.10. Irrespective of what you're feeling or whatever circumstances are going on in life, as a saved person, you are complete in him, period. End of paragraph. That's it. That, that, that's how it is. Look with me at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. What happens in life is we all go through difficult circumstances, and Obviously, if you read about Paul's life, you realize he was in difficult circumstances all the time. He was in perils mm-hmm. of robbers, and he was shipwrecked, and he was beaten with rods. And, you know, he, he had a lot of challenges in life. He had very difficult circumstances. But notice what he says in Romans 8.35. Romans 8.35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. 
Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Which means that no man, no government, there's nothing on this earth, no sickness, no financial trouble. There is literally nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And so my, my encouragement to, to our audience would just be, whenever you don't feel right, when you feel anxiety or you feel fear or you feel lack of contentment of any sort, these verses are still true. And we need to operate on the basis of these verses, not on the basis of circumstance and not on the basis of emotion. Because God's word is bigger and more powerful than any of those. And the security is in, if I'm in Christ, hid in God, how much more security do you need? What thread are you hanging on? <laughs> That's right. You're also sealed by the Holy Spirit. I mean, yeah, yeah the, the blessings we have are unforfeitable. We, we, we can't lose them. Yeah, there's so much more to grace uh, than just salvation. There's so much more. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's amazing. Okay, let's see. I guess I have a question here. This is one you hear all the time. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Well, what I'm going to do, actually, is I think we're coming up on a break here. So if you don't mind, I'm going to hold that question okay. and then try to address it more fully in, uh, after the break, if that's okay. Okay, great. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 14th Street Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. Your donations are most appreciated. You can make donations on our website at 14thstreetministries.com. Our goal is to preach the gospel to a lost and dying world. Our message is to lift the believer, teaching sound doctrine by rightly dividing the word of truth. We are a grace ministry. You can reach out to us by calling 314-243-3779 or by contacting us on the web at 14thstreetministries.com or follow our Facebook page. Look for 14th Street Online Bible Study. Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. Now, if you really want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune into Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions. Some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
If you are ready to be inspired, energized, and entertained, you've come to the right place with our two life-changing programs at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Listen for our lifestyle show, Star Style, Be The Star You Are, with our host, Cynthia Bryan. Then on Sundays at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, Teens Talk and the World Listens on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Play with us at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com and the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Are listening to the radio program Why Paul? If you'd like to participate in today's program, call in to 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. Or send an email to Michael R. Mix at 14th Street Ministries.com. Now back to Why Paul. Welcome back. I'm your host, Michelle Mix. I'm your host, uh, Michael Mix. I'm your host, Pam Lampton. I'm your host, David Reed. And we're now asking questions that, you know, they're phrases that uh, we all say, and, you know, some people really think that they actually came from the Bible. Um, So we'll continue with that. Yeah, I have this question um, presented. Apparently, it was uh, John Wesley's uh, first sermon, I guess, or whatever. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Apparently, that come from a preacher. But anyway, <laughs> cleanliness is next to godliness. Yeah, it, it sounds like the sort of thing that moms teach, you know, seven or eight-year-old boys when they want them to take a bath, right? <laughs> um, well, th- th- let's, so let's think about this scripturally. So the word cleanliness is not a Bible word. It, it's not a word that appears anywhere in the scriptures. So that tells you that the saying is is not a scriptural saying. But there's a couple interesting things I think we can ponder about this. The first is this, cleanliness is not a Bible word, but the Bible will teach you certain things about hygiene that you would may not otherwise know. Um, one of the things that people sometimes think is they think, well, you know, the Bible is a dumb book because it teaches that the earth is flat. The Bible doesn't teach the earth is flat. <laughs> Men taught the earth is flat, and then later on they blame it on the Bible. If you actually read the Bible, you will learn an awful lot about science. So let me give you a for instance. Um, It is a relatively modern understanding that you should wash your hands in running water. Um, You may or may not, you may be familiar with this, but it, it really wasn't until the 1800s that doctors started to wash their hands before moving from patient to patient. Prior to that time, they didn't. And and what was actually happening is there would be doctors that would be in in the morgue working on people that were dead, and they would go see people that were still alive (laughs) and without washing their hands. So guess what would happen? They would would transfer diseases that way. There's actually a a famous physician, Ignaz Semmelweis, that realized what was happening, and he taught that you need to wash your hands. You need to cleanse yourself between seeing patients. Now, look with me at Leviticus 15. What I would tell you that's fascinating is Leviticus 15 gives you an understanding of this hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of years before man's science came to understand this. So if you look at Leviticus chapter 15, verse 13, 
And when he that hath an issue is cleansed of his issue, then he shall number to himself seven days for his cleansing and wash his clothes, and notice this, and bathe his flesh in running water and shall be clean. One of the things you often do as a child, of course, is you take a bath. And what happens when you take a bath? Well, you, you sit in the bath water. And so you, when you stand up, you still have suds on you and some of the gunk. And it's, it's not ideal. So what do people typically do? They transition to a shower. And the reason why they transition to a shower is it's running water. Well, Leviticus gives you that understanding far before modern science came to understand it. Get with me Hebrews 9. Hebrews chapter 9. People mock the Bible for being unscientific. And when they do that, they're just testifying they haven't read it. Mm -hmm. Now, notice Hebrews 9 verse 6. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. And what, what this is describing in Hebrews is some of the Old Testament practices. Verse 7, but into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was standing. Verse 9, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. Now notice this next verse, which stood only in meats and drinks, notice, and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. So in other words, the Old Testament law had diverse washings. It had multiple washings that it required under the Old Testament law. But were those washings sufficient to cleanse people? They weren't. Mm -mm. Look with me at Galatians chapter 2, verse 21. So what we're seeing there is there were several washings required under the Old Testament law, but those washings were not sufficient to accomplish the purpose of making people clean. Galatians 2.21, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, could righteousness come by all those diverse washings of the law? It couldn't. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. So what that tells you is, do, do washings produce godliness? They don't. Look with me at Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, and verse number 3, Romans 8, 3. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. So the way that God dealt with the sin problem that the law couldn't solve as he dealt with it through Jesus Christ. One more verse, Isaiah 64, verse 6. Isaiah 64 and verse 6. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. So, is cleanliness next to godliness? No, because you could do all those diverse washings, and it wouldn't solve your sin debt. 
Now, you know, obviously, maybe it's good to take a bath once in a while or to shower and, and clean up. I'm not yeah. teaching against that. But you can't, man can't scrub himself clean, right? Man, man can't satisfy the problem of his sin debt to God. And so that's why we needed the sacrifice of Christ. That's true, because uh, people say, well, they live a clean life. They're clean cut. They live a clean life. And that actually, right. you know, that doesn't give them the, the uh, ticket to being like Christ or being yeah. a Christian just because they live a clean life. Right. That's, that's a good point. Okay, and I have one, um, where, which we hear a lot as well, is God will not give you more than you can handle. Look at me at 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we'll look at verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. That's a helpful verse. Uh, you know, there used to be, a, there's a human saying, the devil made me do it, right? And so the devil is responsible. He forced me to do it. Well, what 1 Corinthians 10 says about temptation is that there's always a way out. There's always a way that you can escape it. Our problem, if we're being honest, is sometimes we don't want to escape it. Mm -hmm. um, we just want to participate in it. The fact of the matter, though, is that whenever there is temptation, there is a way out. There is a way that we can uh, we can endure the temptation and not sin. Uh, we need to escape from it. Look with me at Second Corinthians chapter twelve. One of the things is we're awfully good at ex making excuses, aren't we? well, yeah, I did that, but here's why it's not my fault. And here's why, you know, we, we come up with rationalizations and excuses and it's much better just simply to do the right thing. Look with me at 2 Corinthians 12 and let's look at verse seven. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. Paul's writing here about these incredibly powerful revelations he received from the Lord. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. So Satan has, or Paul has these revelations, they're wonderful, but then he has this messenger of Satan that causes him all these problems. So verse eight, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. So what Paul says is this messenger of Satan, Lord, do something. This guy is driving me nuts. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> Verse nine. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So if we pray about something, are we always going to get the answer we want? Well, sometimes we don't, right? Because Paul's prayed, Lord, make the thorn go away. And he, he prayed three times because he, he really wanted it to go away, obviously. And what was the answer? Well, the answer he got was, Paul, I'm not making the thorn go away. The messenger of Satan is still going to be there. He's still going to be driving you crazy. But here's the good news. 
my grace is sufficient. I find that to be a very helpful verse. I mean, Mm -hmm. in in life on this earth, you can have troubles from the government. You can have health troubles. You can have personal conflicts. I mean, there's a lot of things that go wrong on this earth, right? I mean, there, there just are. But what is true is God's grace is more than sufficient for any of those things. And that's, we, that's, we need to keep that at the forefront of our minds. There's no situation you encounter that is bigger than God's grace. There just isn't. Um, Michael was talking at the, at the start of the show about there are some listeners in China and there are some listeners in China that face things that are more difficult than things that, that many other people on the earth face. And so we, we think about them and we, uh, we thank God for their faith and we know that God's grace is sufficient in their lives and they're going to have to perhaps endure some things that I'm sure they wish they wouldn't have to endure and we wish they wouldn't have to endure, but God's grace is sufficient. And by the way, any suffering on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ is fully rewarded. Mm-hmm. So keep that in your mind as well. Even our failures, his grace is sufficient yes. to handle that. That's right, because we're not perfect. Mm -hmm. Okay. Do we have time for one more? Do you want to do that? Um, Yeah, Yeah, we can start that. We'll go ahead and start that. Um, We have one that says, God helps those who help themselves. So briefly on that, you can't work your way to heaven. What, What God wants you to do is he wants you to believe the gospel. Look with me at Romans 8, verse 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Verse 8. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. If you're lost, you, can, you can't please God by your works. The only thing that will please God is your faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. So the verse, God helps those who help themselves. You can't work your way into pleasing God. You just can't do it. But if you believe that the Lord Jesus Christ died for your sins on the cross, you trust the blood he shed for you, not your own works, the moment you trust him, he'll save you forever. That's what people need to do. That's freedom. Freedom from all the legalism. It's freedom to sit back, basically sit back, and God has done it all. Through Christ. He has done it all. When Christ on the cross said, it is finished, he made the complete payment for sin. It doesn't require anything from us other than simply our trusting what he did. Yeah, absolutely yep. perfect. And we thank everyone for joining us this week and uh, definitely be back next week for more questions answered. You have been listening to Why Paul. Visit us on the web at 14thStreetMinistries.com. And please join Michael R. Mix, Michelle Mix, and Pamela Lampton again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for more thoughts and wisdom. Also, be sure to tell everyone about our program.